Welcome to the Mission Manhood Podcast, where mature masculinity is celebrated and encouraged. My name is Angela Abide, and I will be your host. Every week or so, I sit down with a man who is in the men's movement, helping men grow and thrive in their masculinity, someone who is exhibiting characteristics of mature masculinity, or someone who has a perspective that might be beneficial for those who are seeking to grow and develop in that area. As a woman, I have a unique perspective as a mother and a therapist, and I hope to contribute to the conversation in those ways. Thank you so much for joining, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, I'm glad you're here. Recently, Sean Corey invited me to be a guest on his live stream, and he was a really good interviewer and asked me so many questions about things that are really near and dear to my heart. And we covered things like what it means to me to be a Christ follower, what healthy masculinity is, the stages of development for men, and even the pitfalls of porn. We covered a lot of topics. And for that reason, I thought it might be a great opportunity for some of my listeners to get to know me a little bit better. So I took part of that interview and made it into a podcast episode. And if you'd like to hear the entire interview, you can go to at Jonathan Corey. He's on YouTube. He's also on Instagram where there's a link tree that you can find the entire episode. But I hope you enjoy it. And thank you so much for joining. First off, do you want to introduce yourself? Where people can find you, what you're working on, what you're doing, <laughs> what's your mission? Yeah, my mission is manhood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'm walking uh, into no. that one. Yeah. <laughs> I am Angela Abide, and I host a podcast called Mission Manhood. That's the corny joke. I'm a licensed professional counselor in the state of Texas. And what I'm moving into is I want to create some courses on masculine development because I think a lot of people are really lost right now. And as a um, elder, I don't like that really, but it's true. (laughs) You know, I've raised three sons and they're 20 three, 20 and 17, and just observed a lot of things. And I see how things are different now for, for men and they're facing a lot of cultural stuff. And it's like when I was in the fourth grade, I didn't know I couldn't see until a teacher told me, Hey, you need glasses. And I feel like a lot of men right now, young men, they, they don't know that they can't see or what they can't see. And I just think they need some elders to help. So (laughs) I'm, I'm trying to offer my elder wisdom. (laughs) That's awesome. Paul Washer has a good series about biblical masculinity. That might be the name of it, but it's something similar to that. And he makes a really solid point in the first episode is that like boys need men to teach them and train them and raise them up. And we're seeing a lot of like, quote unquote, toxic masculinity or beta male or whatever you want to call it. Just like men who aren't really living up to like their mission. Like, and it's kind of, a result of them not having men and or like elders, like even just good moms in their life, like really teaching them how to become men. How do you become an actual like good man, a righteously masculine man? 
if you hang out like in the men's spaces online too, you'll see that there are a lot of men that feel like they, their type of masculinity is the way to be a man. And even to your point about, I don't know how to be a good man. You'll have some men saying, you don't want to be a good man. You want to be a dangerous man. Only a dangerous man could be a good man. <laughs> yeah. These guys are like, I don't even know what to think right now. You know, that's why I started this project of just like taking you from like birth to death and what you should have received when you were a kid. When you become a man of, of your own, what are the tasks for each stage that are going to keep you advancing to the next stage? One of the problems that we're having right now is a fatherhood issue. And in our youth-obsessed culture, I feel like a lot of men are in the brotherhood stage and they don't really want to go. They don't want to advance to the next level because your life is not about you anymore. You're about life and you kind of have to dive to that certainty and develop nuance and become a generative king. And that involves a lot of sacrifice. Yeah. That's great. And hopefully yeah. soon there'll be some courses. That's what I'm moving toward to develop some courses for people. That's awesome. I love that. Cause that's like real, I mean, that's homeschooling basically. That's like real direct, like actual useful knowledge. I've always wanted to develop a way that people, regardless of their income level, can get access to really good, solid. It's wisdom, but it's also informed. Like I, I They'll see clearly what they need to do in that stage. And when they're ready, they can advance to the next stage. And so I'm excited about it. I think it'll help bring some clarity. But an understanding of of what I'm trying to do, I think the mother does. When people say a woman can't raise boys or a woman doesn't teach men, I I disagree with that. And I think that from the very moment of conception, I was raising a man. I wasn't raising a boy. And when that boys finally in my arms. I think what happens in that first bit of life, if it happens correctly, that imprints something really important on that boy. That when he becomes a man, he's understanding what unconditional love is, what worship is, and all those things because he's experienced that. And then as he moves through that those stages of boyhood, he's kind of forcibly pushed to the next level and his father's pulling and his mother's pushing him and in a perfect world it's this beautiful dance between the three of them to get the boy to the point where he's ready to launch out you know just from that little snippet i just said everybody you know missed that in some way either their mom was mentally ill or their dad didn't show up or the boy himself refused to advance seeing where we've missed it we can then go back and try to straighten out our foundation. And then we can build something really solid on that. And what I tell young men, like in your 20s, I mean, you should be about discovering what you've missed, understanding how you can do that for yourself. And then you're, you're ready to, to launch out and go through those stages of development and become that elder one day and take your place among the elders and, and be a gift to life. Man, that was amazing. <laughs> That's powerful. That's an amazing like tagline you have on your Instagram profile is, I help men understand the divine dance of the masculine and feminine so they can heal, grow, and lead. And that is yeah. crucial. And I do... I mean, I do think there's like times and places where like boys shouldn't be taught by women, but that's not never. (laughs) I mean, they definitely like young boys need moms to like care for them and nurture them and help show them what a woman should be. And like the woman that they're going to like eventually potentially marry or just the women they're going to interact with in life, in their communities, in their churches, 
a man should see what a woman should be so that he can aspire to be with that person or help that person in some way. And men, whether we like it or not, like we're called to lead, we're called to protect, we're called to provide. And there's going to be women in our lives, whether they're our wives or our, our sisters, that need our help. And it's crucial for us to have like mothers or motherly influences to help us become those men as well and be that like role model. I like that that phrase you have, the divine dance of masculine and feminine, because it really is both. It requires both. I think you do need, young boys do need good examples of a feminine, like a righteously feminine woman. In the perfect world, your first love is your mother. It's just this beautiful adoration, probably observed it. You have the sweetest little boy who thinks his mother is the most beautiful, the most charming, the most fantastic. You know, that's just such a special little time that they have. And like I said, I think that's a real imprinting time. And evolution, nature, God, whatever you want to call it. I mean, at some point, the boy starts to smell bad and all his teeth fall out. It's not so adorable anymore. He starts to push her away. So it's like this, this separation time. Yeah. But what really is important, not so much the mother and the child or the father and the child, is he's also observing this beautiful dance between the mother and father, this giving and receiving and giving and receiving. And so she's supporting the father's vision and he's demanding respect for her. If the boy observes that through his whole life, when he gets ready to leave, he understands the dance. He understands you know, what it means to be a righteous man and take on that mantle of responsibility. Because a lot of times we talk about initiation and I think initiation was just like the ceremony, just like graduation is our ceremony. You know, you've been through 12 years of school. When they would have those initiation ceremonies, it's because he's observed and he's learned and he's really gotten to a place where he can become his mother's king and he can become his father's brother. He's reached that stage. And so they're demanding that he go and take his place in the world because he's, he's observed this and he's ready to take on a wife of his own and start his own family and start to repeat the cycle. So that initiation is not just a one and done. It was a, a culmination of events that's like, hey, you're ready. It's time. That's great. Yeah, I love that. We got a bunch more questions along this line. But first, I always like to ask people if they can like share their testimony. I was raised in a really religious Baptist, Southern Baptist in Georgia home. And I, I feel like my parents were not perfect by any means, but I think they were among the last of that generation of really gender roles. My mother was yeah. this really soft, sweet lady who was so happy cooking and cleaning. And when I got to elementary school, she actually did go get a degree and became a nurse. And she loved that too. I and mean, that was just right up her alley. But my father was, you know, definitely the head of the house. He covered everything. We answered to him. So I had that example growing up. When I left there, I was, I've always considered myself to be a seeker. And so I wanted more. I, I really just tried out everything. I went evangelical, Church of God. I went Presbyterian, a Methodist, and eventually even Catholicism. So I feel like I have experienced so many different interpretations of Christianity. And I think for the, at the end of the day, for me, what it comes down to is the thing that's important to me is that following Christ and living a life of love and taking up your cross and following. And there's so much 
beauty and there's so much about the message of Christ that makes sense to me. I think a lot of times in our, we talked about this before we started recording, is that sometimes in our desire to be right, we kind of miss the mystery. We can't advance anymore because we've already decided what everything is and what everything means. And for me, following Christ is every day waking up and saying, yes, Lord. And I don't necessarily always know where that's going to take me. And the picking up and carrying it is so crucial. (laughs) So powerful. Like being willing to sacrifice, like being willing to humble yourself and accomplish a mission, whether you like it or not, that's set before you. Yeah. And I I think I shared with you before I had my day planned out. I was going to get here a couple hours early, get a shower, put my makeup on, be really prepared for this interview. But seriously, I had three emergency life kind of emergency calls where I'm on the phone for an hour, you know, talking to somebody three different times today. And so it ended up that I just kind of slapped some makeup on and got in the chair just, (laughs) and, and that's really what I mean. Living life on this raft and whatever presents itself to me, that's God's will for my life. That call was God's will for my life. I had already committed to this. So this is what I believe is God's will for my life today. I had somebody explain it to me when I was a lot younger is, you know, we're always going around searching and wondering what does God want us to do? If the baby's crying, that's God's will for your life. If my neighbor is suffering, that's God's will for my life. I have to learn to nurture and care for myself so that I can be everything that, you know, I need to be in the world. It's definitely a balance, but just living that a life of of love and service is to me what it's all about. That's amazing. Yeah, letting go and letting God. I always have to remind myself of that. Like let go, like especially when you're like stressed and you're worried and you're anxious and you're thinking about what's happening tomorrow or what just happened to you. It's like, let go. <laughs> let go of you for a minute and just remember, like, let God work. Being still and letting go of yourself and trusting him. And then that's definitely when God speaks to you in that like voiceless voice is that moment when you're like yeah. in the moment, trusting, letting go of that, like yourself, your ego or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that consistent and continual yielding. Some people say death to ego. I think it's more, we need it. We need our ego. It's useful, but it's a tool. Our mind is a tool. Our body's a tool. That level of consciousness that we call ego is a tool, but taking that time to get centered and to, I think about it like the verse, he who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. So I try to get in that place where I picture myself under the shadow of the Almighty, and I can just rest there for a minute. And so then that starts to inform my mind and my ego and where my body's going today and uh, starting to let that be my source, my energy source is that deeper level. (laughs) That's amazing. Amazing. Who and where were you in 2010? And who and where will you be in 2030? What was I doing in 2010? (laughs) Right after we're talking about not worrying about the (laughs) the past or the future. Let's worry about the past and the future right now. That was, uh, gosh. You know what? I was still in the golden era of child rearing. That, That seriously was when they get out of the baby stage which you don't know if you'll survive really because 
you're not getting enough sleep and somebody's always crying and there's dirty diapers. <laughs> but in 2010, my youngest was six and my oldest was 12. And that was really the golden era because right before the oldest became a teenager and got really insufferable, that was such a sweet, sweet little time. But every stage has its joy and challenge. I would say that where I will be in 10 years from now, I hope that my courses will have been such a blessing. Maybe I would have written a book. I want to open like the boutique retreat center where um, I want to really minister to frontline leaders who are out there fighting a good fight. And if they're having marriage problems or if they're wounded or they get exhausted, they have a place to come and replenish. And we sort of tailor it to meet their specific needs. Yeah, that's great. And hopefully not in the city that you're in now. <laughs> you know, I grew up in Georgia. And so if I can close my eyes and think about where this retreat center is, I smell pine straw, wet pine straw. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And growing up, that was just such a great smell. And so I can see water, a pontoon boat, and I'm smelling wet pine straw. So. Oh, man, that's, that's beautiful. <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> I love Texas, too. There's a lot of positives here. But when it gets really hot here, it feels like the desert. Everything gets really crispy. Like the grass is crispy. <laughs> I want the wet pine straw summers, yeah. okay? <laughs> yeah. Water, life, not the dry, dead nothingness. Yeah. I wanted to ask you this because you posted this awesome picture on your Instagram about, it's like a guy holding a sign that says, fix yourself before you try to fix the world. Should we fix ourselves before we try fixing the world? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Really, that is my number one, absolutely number one thing that I tell people. So that sign just kind of went right along with my message, but yep. so I base that on what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And it's taken me a lot of years to understand that. But right now we can see so clearly how, what kind of chaos we bring about in the world by trying to fix everything and everyone else first. If everyone could go to that deeper place and get in touch with that deeper level of consciousness, like I was talking about, that secret place of the Most High, and really start to work on themselves and learn to love themselves. And what I mean by that is, I become a good mother and father to myself. I start to take care of my wounded little inner children, my the parts of me that were hurt or abused or wounded. I learn to love myself and I have I can say that I used to be so mean to myself and such a harsh critic in the way I talked to myself and so judgmental and wanted to be perfect. And when I got to the point where it's okay, I don't have to be perfect. If I have something go wrong, I can sit with that. And this is in my um, professional practice. I studied internal family systems therapy. And I think it just reminds me so much of the story of the, the lambs, how he left the 99 and went after that one. And I feel like internally we can do that kind of work. Like there's that scared little child, whether it was five or eight or 10 or whatever, instead of continuing to berate myself for my weaknesses, I bring that part in and I learn to love that part. And when I get scared and nervous, I just have that part sit with me and say, I've got this, I've got you. 
I don't need you to keep looking out there to be rescued by your mother or your father or some relationship or, or something that's going to happen. I've got you and I'm going to care for you. And so you start to establish that trust in your inner system. That's what internal family systems means. And then from there, when I really sincerely learn to love myself, that just naturally flows to others. I'm aware that you have a child part. And maybe the reason that you're talking to me that way is because your child part is just so out of sorts. Uh, maybe you got activated for some reason. So I can learn to show my spouse, my children, that kind of love. And then they learn that and then they can show that to the world. And that's why it's so important for us to get us right. That's really the only power that we have to truly change the world. We change ourselves and then we change to the next circle and then the next. And then yeah. just like you're doing, maybe you start a podcast or a live stream and you start to help other people understand. That's why I think it has to be in that order. Yeah, that's great. Well, a question I have, and this is like a kind of christian -y debate thing where like definitely <laughs> like this is like denominations will fight over what's the right answer here or whatever. But can someone fix themselves? Or do you need like the savior to fix you? Because I go, I, I go back and forth on it, honestly. Like there's questions because I'm such a new Christian where I haven't, I'm like, I'm not set in my ways. I read the Bible and I let it lead me. So if I read something that like really just blows away my previous conviction, my previous held work, like I'm going to let God take me in that direction. And this is something that I literally have gone back and forth over, right? It's that's why there's so many denominations like works-based gospels versus faith-based gospels because you can read and interpret the scriptures in different ways. But I just think that is an interesting thing because that is a big manosphere thing. Like, you know, clean your room, bucko. You know? <laughs> Fix yourself before you can do anything. But it's like also the Bible is pretty clear that like you're never going to save yourself. That's why you need a savior. But also like you have to do the work too. Like it's your free will choice to do that. So I just think that's interesting. Like, can someone fix themselves or is it someone else? Like, is it Jesus that does the fixing for you? I do believe that God is love. And what I feel like is that, like Paul says, I beat my body and bring it into subjection. And I take every thought captive. To me, that's the mind and the body. I have to work on those two things. I have to learn to control my mind. And I can do that by learning therapy tools. I can learn thought stopping. I can learn to manage those little parts. If you don't like to look at it as different personalities, you can look at it as different little bits of programming. When something happens to me that triggers that five-year-old programming, I've got to learn to manage that. I can learn to manage that. And I can exercise and I can work out and I can eat right and I can contain my passions and desires so I can manage my mind and body. When I do that, the reason that I do that is so that I can live from that place of spirit. I can be ruled by that. I can manage my life from there. And I'm not so concerned about being right about everything. And I'm not numbing everything because I can't handle it. I discipline my mind and body and I do that so that I can live from the spirit. And I had a teacher tell me one time, only of the three, only the mind and body need to be redeemed. I do that work so that I can live from the spirit. I wrestle with all these things too. The thing that is different for me now is I don't sweat it so much. Yeah. And so when I 
look at Genesis 1 or John 1 and it's Christ and God was there and he's his son, but he was there and he <laughs> is and he was and he was with God and he is God. And I'm like, my mind is like blown. So what I really think is that we have this operating system that's not really capable of comprehending the mystery of faith. And so what I'm doing is kind of looking through this little peephole yeah. and I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> when I meet somebody that's completely humble, I know that they've lived long enough to be humbled and they have embraced the mystery of faith and they're living from love. And that's what makes sense. And I think through maturity, that that's kind of where you get to. Yeah, that's great. Oh, well, you know, I listen to like Manosphere kind of podcast where it's like, and even like art of manliness where it's not like so masculine stuff. It's just kind of like, oh, here's stuff about men. Here's some, some inspiration. Here's some self-help. You know, here's like encouragement and here's my advice and order of man's another good podcast and stuff. But it's kind of like at the end of it, even though those two examples I bring up are like Christians, like a lot of what like their advice is really just like how to be a man in the physical sense. And yeah. they don't really talk about what I think is so crucial, which is like the spiritual is so much more important. Like to me, everything is, and I like the, I actually love the phrase you said off, off air was metaphorical masculinity. It's like yeah. this shallow, physical, surface level masculinity. It's like you're putting the cowboy hat on or you're putting the Carhartt, you know, bibs on, but are you doing the work? Like, are you actually doing what matters? Or are you just like appearing to be a man? Are you practicing the appearance like the outer shell of being a man or are you actually living it truly and fully and i don't think you can do that without christ like i don't think you can become a true alpha male unless you are looking up to and truly like spiritually reuniting with the alpha male <laughs> of all the males you know i think a lot of men are locked into their version of what it means to be a man and yeah. they don't really have a lot of use for anybody that doesn't kind of fit that formula and I think yeah. that can be harmful. A lot of it is that some of these guys are in that brother stage. And your task of life when you're a brother is to accumulate knowledge and to learn. And so you think that this is the end all be all. That's your phase of life. That's what you're doing. And when you cross over and become a father, an example I will give you is you might have told your daughter, you know, when you're in the brother stage, no premarital sex. Well, what happens when she comes home pregnant and she's not married? Yeah. That's the humiliation of the father. You're going to kick her out? How are you going to show this girl the love of Christ? All your formulas just got blown. Yeah. And that's when you can start to understand the love of a father. And that's why when people get to be about 40-ish, there's no real age to it. But when your kids start to become 18 and 20-ish, if you're kind of on the typical life just keeps coming and it's humiliating and you, you you could have been the best parent in the world but things are going to happen and you're going to start to understand that okay it's not so important for me to have everything figured out it's important for me to love people a lot of the podcasts that you're listening to they're still in that stage where it's important to figure things out and that has a lot of value it's just not the end all be all and you mentioned jordan peterson a lot of people love and hate jordan peterson but I have a lot of respect for Jordan Peterson because I think that he can hold both of those things. He's a really good father. He'll tell you to buck up little buckaroo and clean your room. 
But if somebody in pain comes to him, he'll break down in tears with them. You know, he has a lot of compassion for people. That to me is the love of the father. I'm holding you to this standard. I'm not going to let you go. But at the same time, life is suffering and life is about showing love to others. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I think I think it was Clausewitz. I could be wrong, but like a famous general in Europe once said, you know, you can have the greatest battle plan ever, but it doesn't matter once you have faced contact with the enemy. And then Mike Tyson infamously like summarized it in a more simple, easier way to phrase it, which was everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. Yeah. <laughs> so you can have the greatest plan in the world. You could be so smart, you know, have everything figured out and you're doing great. Like you're saying, like you're a dad and you're teaching your daughter and your son all the right things. You're saying all the right things. Well, then what happens when something bad happens? The unexpected happens. The suffering comes in. You know, the chaos of the world we live in comes in. The evil starts knocking at your door because you are doing things right. What is your reaction then? Do you cave? Do you give up? Do you just like ignorantly keep going in the same direction or do you adjust? And do you yeah. like just keep like doing what's right? You know, as, as your house is being swayed and pushed and pulled by that chaos, like if you have a firm foundation and the truth and the love of God, like it doesn't matter. They can keep trying, that chaos can keep swirling around you, but your feet will be set. Yeah, you're gonna get kicked in the face and uh, <laughs> yeah. you don't even think you're gonna make it or don't want to. I mean, I've had plenty of times where I thought, man, I wish I drank. Hurt so bad to be alive. That was a big thing for me in California. It's so, you know, weed is legal and that's the best. Just, oh man, I'm so stressed out. Smoke a little bit of weed and feel good. Running away from my problems by like artificially making myself feel good for like yeah. an actual problem that you're facing, physical and spiritually. That kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. That's exactly how I pictured it in my mind. You know, you go to this image you have of Christ and say, save me. You're like, okay, what do I have to do? And he's like pointing at your cross, like, take it up, yeah. follow me. And we keep trying it our way. And then finally, one day we're ready and we pick it up and we follow him and we know where we're going. We're going to die to ourselves so that we can accept that gift that he's giving us, yeah. which is I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. It's a, a detachment from the things of the world that we think are going to make us so happy. We give that up. And I think ultimately what the work of Christ on the cross was, he's giving up his attachment to the state. He's giving up his attachment to his friends. He's giving up his attachment to religion, even his mother's standing there. And he's looking up at God and saying, I, into your hands, you know, I commend my spirit that all the attachments were broken. And I feel like that's the place that he's leading us to where we can put our trust in Christ. That's where that life more abundantly comes from when we're not looking for it outside of ourselves anymore. That's great. Sometimes it takes people being stripped away from stuff or suffering a lot for them to realize that they need that. Like it doesn't matter where you are, he's still there and offering you the chance to pick up your cross and carry it. And it's like, are you gonna do it? It says in the Bible, him who has eyes, let him see, or him who has ears, let him hear. And I think about that a lot in our day and age that we live in. It's like so many people are blinded. They can't yeah. see the truth. They can't really see that option of, of love being offered to them. They think that it's coming from somewhere outside of themselves, whether that's going to be 
the government's going to save us or Donald Trump's going to save us. Put so much hope in our church or this system or that school or whatever. And really, no matter what side of the debate you're on or what side politically you're on, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's Christ. It's it's that love that's going to save us. Amazing. So I got to ask, what is a man and what is a woman? Um, for you, what is a man and what is a woman? I mean, to me, it's just really obvious. I mean, I'm a, I'm not <laughs> a bio. A woman is an adult female, somebody who makes eggs, and a man is a male, and he has sperm, and you know they have different parts. One has interior plumbing, and one has exterior plumbing. <laughs> you know, we're we're made up differently. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing is just really crazy to me. It's insane. I do think that there's a spectrum. I think I can explain a lot of things. Give me a straight line. I can explain a lot of things. We have, you know, masculine and feminine. And I talk a lot about masculine and feminine and male and female and man and woman aren't necessarily the same thing because I have masculine energy. I have feminine energy. I'm definitely a woman. I'm a female, but in order to operate in the world, I have to get into that masculine energy sometimes and problem solve. And sometimes if a man is caring for a baby or loving his his partner or his spouse, I mean, it's, it's that dance. And we have that inside of our cells and we have that in our relationships and we care for each other, however it seems necessary to care for each other. And so I think over the years, people have gotten that part mixed up. And I don't know if that answered your question, but yes. I can have a little wiggle room on, on freedom of expression for sure. But, <laughs> but I, I know what a woman is and I'm not a cis woman. I'm just a woman. Right. Yeah, that's kind of like funny because it really is like <laughs> this shouldn't be this shouldn't exist it's so obvious it's such a clear question like to answer but it's sad we're at a place in our society where like a good amount of people literally can't answer that simple question that simple like reality that we all instinctively know and it's this relativity that's really causing all of the problems because like there is an objective factual reality when you start playing nonsense games with that, that like you said you're blind to reality you get to the point where you can't answer a simple question like what is a woman <laughs> or what is a man you know you said i don't know what's going on with them i think a lot of people are deceived when you don't discipline your mind you can buy into a lot of things getting back to that masculine and feminine energy when you're too much in the feminine energy you care more about feelings and how things will affect people. When you get too much into the masculine, it's all structure and order, and it can go south that way too. But right now, I feel like we're just so chaotic that we've abandoned the truth because we wanna make sure everybody feels okay. We've been doing this for so many years. Like we didn't wanna hurt anybody's feelings, so we gave everybody an award. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. We have to have a container and I, that's why I love listening to people like, I don't know if you've heard Gad Sad on Jordan Peterson, even on Ryan Mitchler's podcast. And those kind of thinkers that can explain the difference between absolute truth. And when I ask my clients, what was true for you? I'm asking them, how, how were you raised? What was your experience? And I'm understanding what their life was like. So 
yes, there is subjective truth. I wasn't raised like you were. Even in the United States, if I was raised in New York City or, you know, South Texas, we have different realities in a way, you know. Then, you know, these intellectuals will explain the difference between that kind of truth and the absolute truth. We can't really budge on what is a woman. That's true. (laughs) That's going to be true for everybody, no matter where you were born or raised or how you were raised. It is true that this is a man and this is a woman. Your experience might have differences, what's true for you based on your experience. But we get that all muddled up. Like I can't change definitions just because of the way I want to express myself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I just love your, I love that phrase you have, the divine dance of the masculine and the feminine, because I do think both are needed. And so it's so crucial that like men are men and women are women and that we balance each other out. And when Mm -hmm. that gets off balance in one way or another, like so many problems arise. Like I think when things are too masculine, you end up with like goose stepping Nazis or like Mongol hordes, you know, just destroying everything in their path. It's like, man, destroy, eat, kill, you know, flip side we have right now, which is almost like too much feminine, which is like your feelings matter. Everything is subjective. It's all about how you want to interpret things. Well, now we're getting to the point where bridges are breaking (laughs) and like there's food supply shortages and it's like logistical breakdowns because people aren't masculine enough and i do think that like divine dance is so crucial it's so needed like you need men and you need women just like i was saying earlier though i think we all have that masculine feminine energy and i need to figure that out for myself and then in my relationship i have three boys and three different personalities one of them is very much a leader he's going to need a softer more surrender type of lady that's going to be good fit for him. One of them is like Mr. Magoo, always losing his keys. He's going to need more of a manager to be a help meet for him. Then my youngest one is just, I don't know what he needs yet, but everybody has different levels and you have to be mindful of that when you're looking for a partner or a spouse that you have a way of being. And if you're a creative um, artist type guy, you might need somebody who's good with books, which is typically more masculine, but that you can work it out. The example that I have about the masculine and feminine energy is I had mice in my attic one time and I'm laying in bed and I can hear them scurrying right above me. And all I could think about was newborn baby mice. I called somebody and they told me that they could destroy them. And I was just so sad thinking about all those newborn little baby mice. That's the feminine. I I just, ugh. They're just so cute. And then the masculine side of me is thinking about wires and destroying and urine and disease. (laughs) And I had to prevail and take care of this problem to protect my home and the kids and all of that. But there are times when men are faced with chores or tasks that require them to be more nurturing and sweet and kind. And the design is beautiful because we can do both. I might not be so great at this all the time. It wears me out to be in my masculine energy for too long. I like being in my feminine energy. But if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be able to operate in the world. You know, I wouldn't get my bills paid. I think it's just a beautiful design that we each have both. And then when you find a partner that matches with you, you can do that dance with them. And then you could set a great example for 
for the kids you have too. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. That's a, so well put. So I know like for me, I definitely am way more masculine almost all the time. And it's like, if you yeah. were to put like a one-year-old baby <laughs> with me, like I'll know how to like keep it alive, but like a masculine energy around a baby is not necessarily the best. <laughs> a really beautiful thing to see though, if you see a father take his baby in his arms for the first time, all time and space, just stand still. <laughs> and that's a different level that maybe he hasn't experienced because you know, like I said, we, we all have that. And, you know, you see these hulking dads like The Rock with his little girl having tea. I mean, he can tap yeah. into that, <laughs> that nurturing, sweet love. And I just, I love to see people, people doing that. Now he's going to get up from that tea table and go right back to work and do what he needs to do and take care of his family and all. But we, we all have the ability to rise to the occasion, so to speak, and, and move in those different gifts and I mean, I think to me, that's part of the gift of God, too, because when I read the Bible and I look at it, I think of certain things as, oh, that's the masculine sort of nature of God, or that's more of the feminine nature of God, because I just think it's all this great dance, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and Jesus was so strong and firm and when he needed to be, but he was also very kind and loving and yeah. he, he saw the suffering of people and he met their needs where they were. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I love that point too, because that in our culture is so missed with a lot of Christians is they love like the soft, gentle, compassionate part of Jesus. And they don't really like it when he like tells people the hard truths. <laughs> when he kind of slaps some sense into people, when he's like that strong, like fatherly figure or like older brother figure that like some people needed. Um, it's like, oh, I don't like that's I, I don't like that part. <laughs> I'm going to skip over those red letters and, and then focus on these red letters over here that make me feel yeah. good, you know. But he was, he was the alpha and the omega. He was like the, the perfect embodiment of people, man and woman, like masculine and feminine energy. But sometimes people like to focus on one or the other, <laughs> pick and choose one or the other. I think that Christians are kind of a lot like the world in that you have some Christians that are all on the feeling side and the emotional side, and we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And we just want to love, love, love. We don't have any structure and order. And then you've got some Christians that are kind of just assholes. I mean, they don't have any compassion. They're just all the work. You know, when I was a kid, I had people saying that you were going to hell if you didn't have a red letter Bible. If the gospel wasn't in red letters, that was yeah. like, we get caught up on our little rules yeah. and we forget the love part. And so I think that's why that divine dance is so necessary. And like we, it, this goes back to when you cross over from having to be so right that certitude into the love of the father that is when you're getting into that king energy because the hallmark of the king's humility i can bow my knee because i know i am not god and i know what my weaknesses are as a man i can shore up those weaknesses whether that's my brothers or whatever i need to do but that humility and that compassion that makes you a generative leader to your people and they feel your love and they feel that you are for them and you want them to be happy and blessed. That's really the love of the Father. Love that. Well, a couple of questions I had prepared for you. That's kind of what we're talking about. What is masculinity? And 
is it a good thing? Masculinity is behavior, ideas, things like that that are typically from men, just like feminine. We know what feminine is. We know what masculine is. We know that we typically associate masculine behavior with men. We typically associate feminine behavior with women. And we also know that there's a lot of overlap. If I dress like Diane Keaton, you might not even know who that is. She incorporates a lot of masculine style, but she's very much a feminine woman. So, I mean, there is overlap. You know, Prince wore blouses and high heels, and yet he still had a lot of girlfriends in our culture. (laughs) We do have some overlap, but as far as the gift of men and masculinity, men are outer and women are inner. And I should probably say masculine is outer and feminine is inner because there are a lot of women that are doing jobs and roles that are more outer. And we have some men like shamans or gurus or artists that are doing work that's more inner. That doesn't mean they're a woman or they're gay or they're feminine. It just means that those are the gifts that are more interior. And so we do have that overlap. And I don't want to deny anybody the chance to be exactly who they are. But as far as men in general, they have such a, a beautiful role in society and I think in families of being leaders and the covering. Yeah, it's a definitely a good thing. The way I look at masculinity, again, like I said, I can tell you anything on a straight line, just as a spectrum. Me, toxic masculinity is too much or too little. When you have a man who's bullying his way through the world and just making everybody's life miserable and getting his way by being demanding and strong, he's not surrendered to God or anyone. He's his own God. He's made God into his own image, so to speak. That's too much. He is using those gifts in a way that's causing suffering for people. But then a lot of what we're experiencing right now is too little men who've been conditioned to believe that their masculinity is wrong or bad. They're apologetic for their masculinity. So these are the guys that I find in my office sometimes that I'm like, no, your masculinity is a gift and you have to learn how to use it as such. And those guys have abdicated their throne in some cases. And we've all seen families like this. I mean, we see these on the sitcom where the guy's just sitting there scratching his belly and the strong woman's in charge. It's always a joke. He's always kind of hiding from the, the woman. That's what we've been presented with in our society as a role model for men. And that gets into that metaphorical masculinity. You know, we've got this just really subpar definition of the man cave burping belly scratching guy it's too little it's not enough i'm not taking on my mantle i'm not pursuing my vision i'm not pressing forward to become that generative king that can be a blessing to life and people yep yeah i love that my pastor kind of does verse by verse and he went through the like genesis and actually really broke it down in like the best way possible he's bringing up how like name a tv show or a commercial and it's going to depict the man or the father as weak embarrassing he's the punchline he's basically this guy has like abandoned his responsibility he's abandoned his accountability he's abandoned like his god-given role lead and provide and protect and be the man that everyone around him needs you know we were called to tend the garden in our culture we've kind of abandoned that you had a good post on instagram he posted um just because a man has a fancy instagram account a beautiful body and says he has a lot of sex doesn't mean he's worthy of your attention 
even just the false appearance of being a man, you're still not living up to like being a man. You're still not actually like fulfilling your roles that God has intended to you. Like you're not tending your garden. You're not being fruitful and multiplying. You're not being loyal. You're not like providing and protecting. You're just putting on this appearance of I'm a quote unquote man. I'm living a good life. I'm look at how flashy I am. Look at how fancy I am or how much status I have. Like that's not being a man either. So there's a lot of that (laughs) just idea of like men failing, which is actually another question I had for you, which is are men failing women in these modern times? Definitely in some cases, but the age I am and what I can see from my vantage point, what I can see from raising these kids, like I said, they're 23, 20 and 17. There's a lot of stuff that's, it's almost like the perfect storm where you're kind of set up to fail. I think that's one category of man and that's the man that I want to help. There's such foundational problems right now based on our society and culture, but there are a lot of really terrible men in the world and there are some terrible women. It kind of depends on what your focus is and and where you're going and what you value. One of my pet peeves is like the constant talking about feminists and feminism. And I was talking to CB Robertson, Chris Robertson in my last episode, and he had such a great point. He's like, look, don't wait on the government. Don't wait on whatever. Go live your good life. He's got a wife and he works out in his backyard and he has a goat and some chickens and he is electrician and he works hard and he reads books and he's creating a good life. He's not waiting for the feminists to give him permission to do that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That young men should really think about that. Go find good woman who wants what you want and then go build that life. They're out there. Yeah. If there's TikTok's horrible. It's also great. You can also manipulate the algorithm. One thing being in all these Christian circles, I've noticed a lot of Christian women being like, can I just get a Christian man? <laughs> like it, sometimes it seems like the bar is so low. They're just like, is there like any guy out there that just doesn't want to hook up with me? Guys, come on. Like I'm looking at these women like, where are the men? And I don't feel like it's this, oh, where are all the men these days? Like some weird complaint that isn't founded in truth. I feel like that is a reality. Like even these quote unquote Christian young men, they are living for themselves. They're too focused on their career. They're too focused on their fun, their pleasure, their status. They're not actually trying to live up to and be like righteously masculine men who have responsibilities. They kind of are putting all of that off <laughs> so that they can like travel and go hang out with their friends and play video games. And But it does seem to be like even in the Christian circles, like men are just not wanting to be responsible. They don't want to be held accountable. They don't want to work hard. They don't want to suffer. They don't want to struggle. They don't want the payoff that comes with having children. <laughs> I see a lot of beautiful men. You know, I've interviewed a lot of men your yeah. age who are taking their wife and forging their life and having babies. And like you said, it's it's a price. It's a sacrifice. But we're up against social media and all the perfection. The perfection becomes an enemy of the good. It's not enough just to sit and have a pot roast at the end of the day and read a good book. And I really miss, sometimes I think about the fruit of the spirit. The one I, I just feel like is so missing right now is goodness. We used to take such pleasure in little things, little sweet things. And right now, 
we have this society where it's just we're dopamine addicted we're always yeah. swiping and so like i've been thinking about this myself and talking to my kids you really need to work on that addiction because you're going to set yourself apart you mastering that in your life is what's going to set you apart you being able to still read books is going to set you apart there are a lot of young men right now who they don't know how to be they don't know where to go my oldest son when he gets to college they had to talk to all the guys about consent which i'm all for there's a lot of terrible things that happen on college campuses to women but then you take all the good men and make them so locked up that they're afraid to say hi to a woman because they don't know if that's offensive and when i talk about that foundational work before you're even ready to go out and strike out on your hero's journey this generation needs a lot of foundational work like okay what does it mean to be a good man where did what did i miss in my childhood what effect did internet what effect did wi-fi have on me because we're the first generation that was raised more by our phones than by our parents and that's not a small thing we're going to be studying this for years and years and years but in the meantime we've got a lot of kids that can't get out of their bed and get the blanket off their head and we can't <laughs> the elephant in the room is porn If you're a guy who's been taught that sex is bad, it's wrong, don't touch a woman until you marry her and all that. And then every day, there it is. There's some wicked woman there. That's hard. You have to work really, really, really hard to get that out of your life. You have to consciously not want to do that. You have to stop the train, which takes an incredible amount of energy. Then you have to push the train back, which takes a lot of energy. Then you have to start it on the right path again. <laughs> if you want a relationship with a real woman and you want to be a leader and you want to be the man of your house and you want to get on that journey to being a king with a vision, we got to stop the train, push it back. It's doable and it's it's the path to a beautiful life. I have a lot of compassion for men, young men in today's world, because as a mother, when Wi-Fi came around, I can tell you, it was like when our kids had Wi-Fi on their computers, you know, you're constantly trying to get the water out of the boat. Like you're trying to stay ahead of it. You're trying to have the yeah. right programs to protect. And then everybody gets a smartphone. And I remember having the revelation, I can't protect my kids. Yeah, there's no stopping this. Yeah. The boat sank. The snake came in the garden and took over. They, they probably have seen more sex than their grandfathers ever saw in their life. They've probably seen naked people than their ancestors ever saw in their whole entire lifetime. It's not a small thing and we don't really understand what the consequences of that are. But I would say to any young man, the sooner the better, the sooner the better you can cut that off. There's so many programs that can help you with that. I think that is the first step to getting a real relationship with a real woman is to get that fake shit out of your life (laughs) yeah that's awesome yeah that's exactly i was gonna ask you how do we rebuild the men but i feel like that's a really good first start that like you said no one wants to talk about preachers aren't talking about it parents aren't talking about it preachers are jerking off in their office (laughs) (laughs) yeah sorry preachers but i mean not all of them obviously not all men obviously but any man who's not has made a really conscious decision not to it's predatory it is absolutely predatory as mission manhood every time i post something i get a naked booty 
peaches <laughs> like it in my post every single time because I, I never get that on my private Angela Abide. Never. But it's just like these bots are predatory. And because I yeah. use these terms like masculinity and there's always three or four. Yeah. And probably bots, but they're offering to show me anything I want to see. And that's what <laughs> men are dealing with. Yeah. Even if you're trying to be good. As men, I think, and I see a lot of men doing this, and I've got a podcast coming up about uh, pornography. And yeah, I think it's good, a yeah. very intentional practice. It goes back to what we were talking about, your mind and your body. That's both. It's ta- it's like a parasite that has infected your mind and your body. And it's messing up your mind in ways that you can't even imagine. And it's destroying your body. I mean, they're saying now that erectile dysfunction in young men is because they, they, they're consuming so much porn. So your chances of having a real relationship. So say you do get a, finally get a real relationship and you can't perform because of everything you've done to your mind. It's a really vicious cycle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. uh, Spiritually, emotionally, and physically such a parasite, like you said, in all the ways. You were talking about younger men who are like getting ready to branch off. But then what I'm seeing in the older men who are married is sexless marriages. And yeah. that's yeah. epidemic as well. And that's one of the, the key components there. Not only is it taking the place of it, but the way porn, the way men learn about sex now is porn. So you get this idea of how you should be performing and it's really not real life. And so maybe the woman is dissatisfied and she's not really into it or interested. She doesn't feel like you're making love to her. She feels like you're having sex with her and you could have substituted any old body for it. Yeah. That doesn't make a woman feel safe. And so she's not really interested. And then they just drift apart and he keeps doing his porn and she keeps doing her thing. And it's just, it's epidemic right now. I, I would say for, for anybody, that's a good place to start right there. Absolutely. I noticed too, because I really struggled with it. And when I was becoming a Christian in my early stages, like, you know, just three and a half years ago. And then when I stopped, there was like two or three weeks after I just totally stopped. I noticeably could see clearer. (laughs) Like I could just see reality. I could see patterns better. I just had healthier relationships. Like I would interact with women, like my coworkers or just like I worked at a coffee shop at the time. So I'm interacting with a lot of customers It just like really was like healthy, happy relationships, healthy, happy conversations. There wasn't this like thing in the back of my mind of like, you know, impress her. It just really like opened me up to just genuinely like care about women. Just genuinely be like, oh, what are you up to? Not like, what are you up to? So that I can like use that (laughs) to my selfish advantage, potentially. You're looking at these people who are supposed to be your sisters you know, you're doing this porn stuff. It's clouding your, your opinion of them, your relationship with them. We're sexualizing everything. Yeah. So kids are being sexualized and older women are being sexualized, like cougars and everything. Yeah. So I can't look at anybody. Like I can't look at that lady as my mother. I can't look at that lady as my daughter. I can't look at this girl as my sister because everything is sexualized. And that's having a detrimental effect on, on yeah. our society. Yeah, love has become lust, like even yeah. in every relationship, like two guys can't love each other anymore, you know, because yeah. everyone's jumping to that lust conclusion when it's like, 
no, we're just brothers. And it really is, yeah, causing a lot of problems. A lot of problems in a lot of ways. How do young men save the damsels in distress in today's day and age? Oh, don't do it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, when, you're, when you leave your mother and father, it says you leave and you cleave. I think there's a space there, especially now. In the old days when everybody was taught everything they needed to be an adult, they could get married at 15 years old and be fine. We don't have that anymore. And in fact, we have the opposite. Like I said, the snake entered the garden for this generation way earlier than it ever has. So you guys knew the knowledge of good and evil way before anybody probably in history has known it. And what I think you have to do is decide you want to have an intentional life, decide what kind of life you want to have, and then go after that. Fix your foundation, figure out what you need to forgive your parents for, determine to be a good mother and a father to yourself. And then when you get ready to cleave to somebody, you find somebody who's done that work, who's forgiven their parents, who's you know, shore yeah. their foundation up, who's learned to be a good mother and father to themselves. When you find that healthy person, you can become one flesh with them. You don't want to be unequally yoked with somebody who needs saving. As old as that sounds, no, absolutely. that's not your job. You know, you need to find somebody that you can build a strong family with, somebody that can get on board with your vision, who is able to surrender to you. You can't like stop and wait for someone to catch up. You have to be find that person that can like run alongside you and like with you in that race. But we have a tendency to like get sidetracked and averted and hit pause and wait for someone to catch up. And yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> that's yeah. a really, really good point. Over the course of your life, the woman is the weaker vessel. She's going to have emotional needs. She's going to have hurts and things like that. That's when you minister to her in a way that's maybe you helping the damsel in distress. But as far as you joining your life with somebody, you want a healthy individual to do that with. And yeah. she, you're going to have needs and weaknesses and desires that she helps you with. And that's where that dance comes in. I mean, the two of you learn to minister to each other and meet each other's needs. So it's not like you have to get a perfect person and you're never going to be a perfect person. But you want a healthy person to start off with. I love that. I love that phrase because I'm always telling my dudes to do this is forgiving their parents. I don't think or see people being able to forgive anybody until they've forgiven their parents. So I love that you yeah. said that. I think that's so crucial to <laughs> tell people and remind people. As a therapist, the way I look at it, too, is you're doing that for yourself. Because yeah. when you're saying, I want to be a good mother and father to me, I'm kind of releasing them from that. And I can take care of myself. I can take care of all these little wounded parts. I'm not continuing to look to them to do it. It's sort of a releasing in a way. I have to believe that you did the best you could do with what you had. And I did a Father's Day post, a picture of me and my dad, where I said I watched him transform over my whole life. And that was the greatest gift. It's not like he was this perfect father the whole time. He had a lot of stuff to overcome. And the gift to us, his kids and his grandkids, is that he continued to do the work. He continued to advance. And now we have this wonderful relationship that I don't know if I ever knew would be possible. But he continued to do the work. And I will say some people's parents are really terrible people. 
Sometimes forgiving is just a releasing, but you still have to have really good boundaries. And forgiveness sometimes just means I release you, I give you to God. Sometimes people need professional help with that in order to to get past that. And that's okay too. Yeah. You're not like necessarily asking them for anything. You're not giving them anything. You're just letting go. You're releasing. That's a crucial, yeah, like that's a really crucial part of it. Yeah, and it gets complicated like with that honor your father and mother thing. And if you have a mother that just wants you to still be her boy, but I feel like the proper role for a mother is to work herself out of a job. I want these boys to become my king. That's what I want. Because when they become a fully actualized man, they're going to be a king. I'm going to be looking at them for guidance and leadership. I don't want to be in control with them forever. So you make that transition of being like they're literally connected to your body. They have to be cut off of your body, then pushed off your body and then pushed out the door. <laughs> and then eventually they they become their own man. They become their own king. Yeah. And that's the way it's meant to be. And a lot of women, they can't they can't release. They can't let go. So even if their son goes out and gets married and gets a family, they're still trying to, you know, insert their control in some way yeah yeah which might be good that might be a good instinct to have you know like until it's not (laughs) until it crosses some lines like the job of the mother is to tell her son the truth and to just like mary was at the foot of the cross i mean she maintained eye contact with him i think that's the job of the mother too you know in your suffering you know that there's one person that knows exactly who you are and knows what you're going through i mean that's a proper role for a mother it's not like she's supposed to completely go away but i'm not going to try to get you off the cross and i'm not going to try to talk you out of your your work we'll have like so many more questions for you so i'm just definitely gonna have to have you back on sometime in the future to talk about (laughs) all this awesome stuff this has been amazing i just love your takes i love your opinions you just put everything so like elegantly Sometimes I have this big chaotic like 10 minute long rants in my head and I feel like you just like simplify it into like a minute and it's like very well said. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> For putting beautiful words in my mouth. What you just described is is what I feel called to do. I think there's a historical precedent for a man coming off of the battlefield and consulting with a wise woman. Because like you said, it just starts swirling in my head. And then you have somebody to help you come back down to center so you yeah. can see. You can remember what your vision is and what you're called to do. And then you're like, okay, right, yes. And then you're ready to go again. Yeah. I do feel like that is that is part of my calling is to help men in that way. Yeah, that's great. I have one final, final question. But before that, do you want to like to let people know where they can find and follow you? I'm on Instagram at Mission Manhood and my podcast, Mission Manhood, is available wherever podcasts are at that account. There's a link tree. You can also go on my website, AngelaAby.com and find access to the podcast as well. And I'm really working on doing a newsletter and I'll be promoting that. But that's if you follow me on Instagram, I'll be promoting it through there. I'm on TikTok too at Angela Abide. And I I want to do more with that, but you have to have a thousand followers to do lives. And so I'm working on on that. Yeah. Cultivated community there. I'll definitely follow on TikTok for sure. And yeah, your Instagram is amazing. <laughs> and the guests you have on are amazing. I've been like binge listening to all this, all, everything on Spotify or the wherever you do podcasts and listen to all the awesome interviews. Right on. Well, my last final question for you is, did you have a fun time tonight? 
Oh, I had an amazing time. I'm so glad I got to talk to you. This is such a treat and such a a privilege to be here. Thank you so much. No, yeah, thank you. And yeah, keep up all the good work because it is crucial. Like I I do kind of like we were saying, like young men can get real wrapped up in the manosphere and I want to become a masculine man. And then they just like start doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu and eating steak and they like, yeah, this is it. I'm a man now. It's like, well, you're kind of missing the spiritual part. And then even on the flip side, it's like the manosphere man stuff is like men and it can become a masculine echo chamber. <laughs> and it's like, well, actually, like, here's like, I love the, the the dance, the divine dance. Like you kind of do need to be grounded and you kind of do need to understand the role that like femininity plays. Most of those guys are brothers. And so they're concentrating on finding answers and they want to be right. And they're telling you what they've discovered is the right way to be a man. So they're not wrong, but just listen and glean and see what feels right to your spirit. But then in your life, you also need fathers and you need elders. So that could come through books or podcasts. Find people to follow that are in the father stage and find people that are elders. You can read their books. So, yeah, your brothers are great, but don't get caught up there because then you just kind of become arrogant. and you're, You're so concerned with being right that you forget to be loved. Yeah. And that's what you learn from the father and the elder. So, <laughs> I love that. Love that. Yeah. Thank you so much again.